I guess you realize this as you go through life, that much more is caught than is taught. And as a teacher, I want it to be the opposite way. But uh, the reality of that is that, that it's, it's generally in life, in those unexpected moments where the, the deep lessons sometimes sink in. And uh, usually we can't determine, okay, this is when it's going to happen. It just happens and then it comes up kind of serendipitously. But uh, I wanted to focus just for a few minutes this morning before we head out on uh, kind of this is going to be our last morning that we focus on community. And as we've been looking at this whole aspect of community and the significance in Scripture, first we looked at the fact that community, we're called to be family. And the family in Scripture that Jesus described was those that did the will of his father. Those, and that would have been a radical concept in, in that where his mom and his brother were outside and he says, yay, they're outside and they expect everybody to drop everything and Jesus go out there. And he says, no, actually my family are those around me that are, that are listening to me. And so that fact that God has called us to a community and in one sense, this bond that we have as a church is supposed to be tighter even than the blood bonds that we have as family. And that was super radical in Jesus' day, and it's even radical in our day as well. And then we looked at that metaphor of the, the community of Christ being a body, that we're a body. And the main lesson there is that we're interdependent and that all of us are significant and important, that we can't just say, oh, you know, I'm here and I'm going to check the box. I've been in church on Sunday morning and then I'm heading out. But no, you're called to be part of this body. And if you're not playing a role in this body, then somehow the body is going to be weaker and less effective in how it functions. So all of us are important. And to me, I see that so often where, you know, somebody, I'll, I'll have said something for 50 years maybe, and then somebody else says it one time. It's like, hey, did you hear what that person said? It's like, yeah, I've been saying that for 50 years. <laughs> you know, and, and the reality is that that, you know, someone else at the right time, at the right moment, God used that person in that other person's life and to rejoice in that, not to say, why didn't you listen for 50 years? You know, that's just the reality that we're interdependent and all of us are significant. And then we looked at the fact that we are called the temple of God. And we looked at the, the Old Testament concept of that's where God makes his presence visible and tangible in the world, that people should come in into a community of believers and say, I just sense God's presence here. Can you tell me about him? And then we looked last week at the fact that in Peter it calls us a holy nation and literally looked at as, as a set-apart culture that as believers we should have a different cultural flavor. We should be counterculture. So many of the things that the world is pushing on us, we as believers should say, no, that's not where flourishing and true life is going to be found. This is where it's found. And this morning, I just want to look briefly at the fact that we're community and it's this aspect of hospitality, the power of kind of an open home and an open table and what that brings to other people. Um, saw some statistics this week. A uh, survey was done in May of 2021 and uh, it was pretty shocking that uh, 15% of men in our culture, now they say they have zero friends, no real friends, and 10% of women say they have no friends. So to give you a comparison, they started doing this survey in 1990. In 1990, it was 3% of men that said they had no real friends. So that's gone from 3 to 15%, which is huge. And for women, it was right around 1% back then. So that's been a tenfold increase in there, that we live in an increasingly isolating 
culture. And we've talked about the reality that, you know, a social media presence and friends there, it's not the same as real friends, that God has called us to be related to one another in real ways, face-to-face, real people. And this reality is that God has called us to bring this not only to our brothers and sisters, but to the world as well, that we're called to embrace those outside of our community. Jesus said, you know, by this all men will know you're my disciples if you what? Have love one for another. So one of the ways Jesus communicates his reality is when people coming from outside get into a community of believers and they said, wow, this family, these people actually like to be around one another without being drunk. That's an amazing thing. I've never seen that in my life. And to recognize that God can use what Rosaria Butterfield calls radically ordinary hospitality to open people up to the truth and the amazing aspect of God's love for us in this world. Uh, She's written a book, um, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And uh, if you don't know Rosaria's story, she was kind of a radical feminist, lesbian scholar at Syracuse University, or PhD. She was writing a book on kind of how awful the patriarchal church, you know, the evangelical church was. And kind of one part of her research was actually, I got to go talk to some of these people. And she was invited over to a pastor's house that they just loved on her. They embraced her. They didn't judge her. They didn't condemn her. They just shared their home and truth and meals. And she has come to this place where she is a believer and she's left her lesbian lifestyle and she's married to somebody. And, uh, you know, she just talks a lot about in our culture, you know, kind of people are tired of hearing Christians speak. They're just over it. You know, there's so much junk in the media right now and Christians that have fallen flat on their face. It's like, okay, man, this person is just going to sell me something else and I'm not buying it, right? Um, This is what she says. Let's face it. We have become unwelcome guests in this post-Christian world. Our children ride their scooters in neighborhoods where conservative Christianity is dismissed or denounced as irrelevant, irrational, discriminatory, and even dangerous. Many of us go to work in places where sensitivity training has become an Orwellian nightmare, where sexual orientation is now considered a true category of personhood, quote, who you really are, where biological sex is no longer considered a factual reality. Offering God's designed blessing for all of humanity, but only a psychological reality, its meaning subject solely to how you feel. Christian common sense is declared hate speech by the new keepers of this culture. The old rules don't apply anymore. Many Christians genuinely genuinely do not know what to say to their unbelieving neighbors. The language and the logic have changed almost overnight. And I think there's a lot of reality in that. And I think because of that, a lot of Christians... Many of us just opt out. I don't know how to respond to this culture, so I'm just not going to say anything. Or some become what I call chameleon Christians, that we'll just edit the message of Jesus, we'll take out all those parts that aren't politically correct, that don't hit well with our culture, and we'll just kind of go along with the flow. I went to UVA, and Thomas Jefferson had a famous Jefferson Bible that basically he just went through, and he just cut out all those passages that he didn't like, and okay, this is my Bible now. I don't think we have that option as believers in God's Word. So the reality is we're, come, we're called to bring truth to the world, but
but how do we do that in a world that almost immediately writes us off or won't even talk to us? And what Rosaria says is that's often through just radically ordinary hospitality. We see this in Jesus' life, right? As he's going through life, I love this quote, and I can't remember who it was from, but he says, in the Gospels, you see either Jesus is coming from a meal, at a meal, or going to a meal, right? And I'm not going to go, I was going to look at uh, Luke 19 with the story of Zacchaeus. The reality is Jesus is going through town. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector, not just an ordinary tax collector. They were the scum of the earth, but the chief one, that's like the mafia boss or the drug kingpin. You know, that's the guy that is horrible. And Jesus sees Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, today I want to eat at your house. And Zacchaeus invites him and it says in that passage that all the people were astounded and amazed and frankly probably ticked off because he would have been the worst person that you would go to have a meal with. And in that culture, having a meal with someone was a lot more significant than in our culture. This is saying, okay, I want to be part of you. I want to have a relationship with you. And this is the scum of the scum of the scum. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to go have a meal with you. And then right after that passage, Luke tells us that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And this guy, Zacchaeus, he's a child of Abraham. And we see the transformation in Zacchaeus. And he said, man, I'm going to give back all that I've scammed off of people. And there was a transformation there. But the point is that Jesus initiated that fellowship over a table. Jesus didn't have a house, right? So he couldn't invite people to his house, right? So he would invite himself over to their houses, which was even more scandalous. You know, Jesus is hanging out with all these people so much so that he was called, what? A glutton and a drunkard, right? A friend of tax collectors and sinners. He hung out with sex workers and those that were a people of ill repute in that culture, often eating a meal with them, not saying, hey, whatever you're doing is okay, but hey, God's love is for you as well. And let me tell you where you can really find life. It's not going to be found in the way you're going, but it's going to be found in following me. Come, follow me. And it seems like Jesus' disciples picked up this lesson. In Romans 12, verse 13, if you want to turn there, I'll just have you turn to one of these passages this morning. Since Jamie just talked for so long, I don't have any time left. <laughs> it was good stuff, Jamie. <laughs> but Romans 12, 13, and this is right after talking about that whole aspect that we are the body, that we're to use our gifts, so it's in that context of the Christian community. He says this, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That word seek is a really strong word. It means push into it, really push into it. It's the same word Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. This is not something that you just casually, oh, if it happens, it happens. But no, seek to show hospitality. And in 1 Peter 4, uh, 8 to 10, and same thing in the context of the church and the gifts in the church, it says basically, show hospitality. And then Peter adds, without grumbling. Don't you love the reality of the word? It's like, oh man, is that show hospitality? Oh, I'm not supposed to grumble about this, you know? And, and the reality is that this showing hospitality is really important. It's so important that it's one of the qualifications for leadership in the church. If an elder is not hospitable, that person isn't to serve. And you're like, really? Hospitality? That doesn't seem to be up there with husband and one wife and uh, 
beautiful, you know, kind of uh, in relationship of integrity with the world, but this, this showing hospitality, it's like, you know, elders have to be Martha Stewart. What's, what's that? It doesn't seem like that. But I think part of our issue with this is that we think of hospitality in a particular way. We think of hospitality more as entertainment, okay? We've got to open up our house, and it's, it's got to be kind of perfectly clean. Everything's got to be dusted, you know? We've got to have the right dishes and all this kind of stuff. And, and that's not at all what this word is. Literally, the word is philoxenia, all right? And we all know the word probably xenophobia, right? Xena means stranger or outsider. Phobia means fear. So xenophobia is fear of strangers. What scripture is calling us to is philoxenia, love of strangers. Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. So this is love of strangers. So he's saying here, and the Lord is saying, I want you to have a heart that loves the outsider, the stranger, the person that you don't yet know. And that's so important that I want the leaders of the church to have that characteristic. They'll reach out to those that are on the outside and bring them in, and whether those are Christians that have just come or those are non-Christians, that that is the heart. So the key is not having everything perfectly put together where your table looks like you came from top shelf competition and, and you've got it all dialed in, but it can be over you know, a bowl of soup and some bread or a cup of coffee or saying, hey, you know, my apartment is a mess. Can we meet at Chick-fil-A and, you know, have a sandwich? You know, the, the reality is that how we do that is not the important thing. It's that we are doing that. They were showing that love. You know, I can make a bowl of ramen really well, you know. I actually like top ramen. It's pretty good. You add a little carrots in there. It's a, it's a passable meal. I lived on that a couple years in college. So, and the reality, you can do philoxenia, hospitality, with ramen soup, or you can do it with filet mignon and lobster. But the question is, do we have a love for those that are outside? And to view them not as a project, but as a person. I think people, you know, are so used to having a bill of goods sold to them. Come over, let's talk about Tupperware. You know what, I've made over $100,000 this year on Tupperware. And if you become part of my sales team, you too, and it's like, oh, this is bait and switch, right? Come over and have a cup of coffee, and then the first three sentences in, you're like, if you die tonight, where are you going? You know, and it's like people are like, what in the world, you know? Not that that question is not relevant at some point in time, but oftentimes we lead with that. So to me, if you're loving a stranger, especially a stranger that does not yet know Christ, to me, you need to ask a lot of questions. And you need to listen. And you need to care, right? I've got a neighbor that moved in recently and her husband's really sick and my wife has just been reaching out to her and going back and forth with texts and just how can we help? And she's like, oh, we'd love to have you guys over for dinner. But... You know, her husband's gotten sick enough now that that's probably not going to be a possibility, but how can we love and care for these people well? One of our other neighbors just moved in, and, and we haven't seen hardly the guy. I've met him one time, so I'm not saying this always works, but it's like how can God use us where we are right now? And it doesn't necessarily mean just your neighborhood, but it can be the work cubicle next to you or the fellow student in your class, all of those people. Do I have a love for that person or someone that comes to church 
and you haven't seen him before and say, hey, you know, let's go grab lunch or do you want to have a cup of coffee or any of those kind of things so that that person feels like they're valuable and loved because they're created in the image of God and Jesus Christ died for that person and am I willing to extend love to that person? And when we do this, we need to not be put off by behavior and appearances. As Rosaria talks about this, you know, they just loved her. And it was like, okay, you need to stop being in this lifestyle. They didn't say that. They said, you need ultimately Jesus Christ. But that came through a lot of discussion and a lot of love and a lot of conversation and a lot of meals shared together. And it takes time especially in our world where I think there's so much baggage that's associated with biblical Christianity right now that it takes sometimes a long time to break down those walls and say, you know what, I'm here really to love you. Like Jamie was saying, it took Dan Abney a year of observing him saying, is this guy the real deal? Or is it just spiel and spin? Because I've seen spiel and spin and I don't want anything to do with that. I want the genuine so to recognize that, you know, it may take longer than we think sometimes. Also to recognize that, you know, God is calling us to do this just as part of life. It's not adding something additional, but it's just like as I'm going through life, you know, what we have 21 meals a week. <laughs> you know, maybe one or two of those. You know, Rosaria Butterfield, you read this and you feel super guilty because like every night they're having people over. It's like, okay, I don't think that's going to work in my context, but that's what she and her husband are called to. They live in more of an urban context, but this question is not am I doing what they're doing, but what am I doing to love the strangers that God has placed in my life? What steps am I taking? And to recognize that, you know, as especially if we can bring folks that don't yet know Christ into a community of believers and then they see genuine love there, to me that's a super powerful argument for the reality of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus said, you know. If they actually see you loving one another when you're from different backgrounds, different races, different cultures, and in our culture, different political parties, that we supersede that, and say, no, this person is my brother or my sister, regardless if they're from a red state or a blue state or where they're from, but they are someone that I love because they love Jesus Christ. And so can we be a family of believers that are philozeniacs, people that really love the outsider, the stranger, that open their home? And a lot of times it's around a meal, and I'm all for that, you know, but it doesn't have to be. I remember there were a group of OCFers that were playing Ultimate Frisbee up at UWF for a while, and they just invite other people to that. Come be part of this. So it can be in how you recreate, it can be in how you eat or where you go or just anything like that, but am I thinking how to include this other person so that they feel loved and so that maybe they're not one of the 15% or the 10% of our culture that say, I have absolutely no friends. And then we can reach out and maybe the Lord will open an opportunity for the gospel to be shared. As you read through Rosaria's book, there are all these amazing testimonies of what God does. She said, and it all started just by being radically hospitable. She tells a story of Hank, her neighbor, that's a end up in jail because he was cooking meth in the base, basement and all that kind of stuff. But 
you know, they reached out to him and he had, I don't know, some Rottweiler type dog and then she'd walk their dog with him and, you know, everybody in the neighborhood was like, didn't like Hank at all, but they were kind of reaching out to him and then, you know, all of a sudden the police show up at Hank's house and, you know, he's carted off to jail, but then they keep reaching out to him in jail and he came to Christ in jail and, you know, so the reality, you don't know what God is going to do as, as we do that. And I know there's a lot of lonely people even in the church, you know, so opening up a home like the Kellys do for dispersion and just having a meal and just sharing life, you know? And, and a lot of it doesn't have to be scripted. It doesn't have to be, okay, I'm going through this book, you know? And that's how we've thought about discipleship so often. It's like, it's just a set of, you know, information that we pass on. And information is important, truth is important, but also seeing truth lived is super important. And I think that's the part that people are not seeing today in our world. They're hearing a lot of Christian talk, but they're not seeing a lot of that walked out. And it's my hope and prayer that we as a church can begin to see that modeling of that life, the real life, those that genuinely are seeking to be followers of Jesus, living together in community, not doing it perfectly. We're not gonna, because we're broken people. We're not there yet. One day we will be, but we're not there yet. But even in how we fall flat on our face sometimes and how we learn to say sorry and apologize to one another and say, yeah, I really messed it up there. I was just super ticked off and I shouldn't be, I'm really sorry. That to me even is a powerful witness to those that don't yet know Christ because that usually doesn't happen in the world. Or seeing a family that doesn't melt down when there's a, some tension that rises. And there will be tension in families, right? Because families are just groups of broken, fallen people that haven't arrived yet. But how we handle that and how we work through that can be a powerful witness. So I think God has given us this amazing ability in the culture we live in that says, ah, there's no more truth, I don't buy any of this stuff, just to kind of open a door and say, hey, you know, let's go grab a cup of coffee. Bon Bean's a good place. My daughter's a barista, there you go. <laughs> Tip well when you go. <laughs> but the reality, it doesn't have to be spectacular, it's just radically ordinary, as Rosaria says. But it shows somebody, you know what, I value you, you're created in the image of Christ and this world says you're just nothing and you're just gonna fall out of his existence someday. I'm saying you're worth, worth so much, so much so that my savior that I know and love died for you. And we don't have to all have all the answers just reading through the beginning of John and the early disciples when they're saying, calling their friends and said, come and see, come and see this Jesus, you know? And Nathaniel's like, man, nothing good comes from Nazareth. Man, I don't believe any of this Christian trash. They're all hypocrites. It's like, come and see. Open a door. And you don't know how God may use that in the lives of others. So I'm proud of us as a body. I think we're doing a lot of this stuff. And my encouragement is to do it more. To do it better. Um, this morning, if you're here just some practical ways, you know, I would encourage you just to pray and think about, is there one person that's a stranger in my life that's maybe, you know, on the fringes that I could invite for a cup of coffee or for lunch or for a meal just to get to know that person? Ask a lot of questions. Um, there are lady studies that are going to be starting over here. If you want to be plugged into that, Jamie put in a plug for Ironman. Um, plug into OCF if you're from a military background. Uh, Chet has one. Jamie has one. And then there's one down by NAS uh, Mainside uh, there. Um, 
if you're interested in a mentoring relationship, there's a sign up in the foyer as well. So if you just want, I just want to get together and talk with somebody and it's not, it's not always, okay, you've got the mentor and the mentee and the mentor dispenses great wisdom. And the, sometimes it goes the opposite way. And Fred talks about that too, that sometimes the mentor is being mentored by the mentee and, and it's vice versa. But it's just important to have those kind of relationships. Um, and encourage you to plug into a home group. Uh, on that same sign-up sheet, there's a box that you can check if you want to be involved in a home group. They're going to be starting up this fall um, as well. And then we're going to uh, start something we haven't done for a while. We used to call it Dinner Six, where a group of six people, whether they're single or couples, just get together um, over a period of six months to meet three times, once every two months, just basically to have a meal together. And if you're not comfortable in your digs right now, they're not real conducive to that, you can even go out to a restaurant. But just an opportunity to get together with, you know, a few other people from church that you may not know, just to start getting to know other people so that we're not just faces, but that we know one another, that we're lovers of strangers on the outside. Rosaria's comment is that philoxenia or hospitality is turning strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. And that's, it's a process, right? And especially in our world where people have a perception of Christianity that to me is totally distorted, we've got an opportunity to break down some of those distortions and just live life as kind of normal people, as normal as we get, right? As we go through life and hopefully have the opportunity to say, you know, come and see my Jesus. This is what he's done in my life. It's not that we have every answer to every philosophical question that's ever been raised, but just come and see my Jesus. I want you to know the peace and the love and the joy that I have. So let's do it, huh? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you were the first lover of the outsiders, that you came to seek and to save those that were lost. And in Luke, it also says you came eating and drinking. And I thank you for that. And I'm wondering how much of the seeking and saving revolves in the context of eating and drinking. So Lord, just help us to be people that are welcoming, that are true lovers of the stranger, that move beyond maybe our comfort zone and are willing to take a step to initiate a relationship that you may do amazing things through. I want to thank you for Jamie's testimony of just how you've used relationships in his life to make a difference. And Lord, to recognize that that's a possibility for us all. And it doesn't have to be that we've arrived at this high and holy mountaintop and have it all together, but it's just as we go through life seeking to be obedient to you, that you can use us in radically ordinary ways as we interact with other people. So Lord, help us to be a welcoming community to me, a community that looks beyond superficial behavior and surface impressions to really see and love people as you did, to look with compassion. So Lord, help us to do that among us as believers, that we would not be those that leave others in a place of loneliness, but we embrace and welcome, but also to those that don't yet know you, that we'd reach beyond barriers and walls that sometimes they set up and sometimes, frankly, we set up to love and to care. Lord, I know this is going to cost something, so help us to be willing to sacrifice when necessary, 
to adjust our schedules for the things that are really significant and to leave those things that are not quite as significant to the side. Lord, fill us with your spirit to do this. This is not naturally our bent. So help us, Lord, to be lovers of strangers. For your grace and your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen.